Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we are delighted to be uh, opening the church again uh, for three services today, which I think is, is excellent. Uh, just a couple of tips at the start of this service. For the past 15 weeks, we've been online. We're so delighted some of you haven't come in your pyjamas because we know you've been watching church in your pyjamas uh, on a Sunday morning. It's so good that some of you have even got out of bed because I know some people have been watching church in their beds on Sunday mornings, uh, which is okay as long as I watch church. Uh, some of those people even live in my house, uh, but sort of... Um, <laughs> A couple of other tips, uh, unfortunately. If you don't like what I'm preaching, you can't turn me down or turn me off this morning. You have to stay uh, until the end. Uh, we're doing three services. If you're going to pray for anybody today, pray for the worship team, because at quarter past one, when you are getting ready to talk into your Sunday lunch, they are getting ready to listen to me preach the same sermon for the third time, of which I have warned them that by the third time I preach this sermon, I will be on fire. So they will probably all get saved again. That's how good it will be. So it's so good that you are back. Uh, we are back together this morning. It has been a long 15 weeks, um, but it was so important for us to open up the church at the first opportunity. We know other churches are doing it differently, uh, and that's fine. We don't mind. We're living hope. We're doing what we think should be done, and it's just great that there are 160 people that are coming to the three services. We tried to turn people away, but we couldn't, so we've got people coming for the next two services, which we're delighted with. At the end of the service, we wanted to help us out a little bit because we need everybody to go out this door. Uh, so Reese is going to dismiss everybody row by row. It's going to be a little bit like being at school, okay? So if you move before we dismiss you, you will get a detention at some time this week. So Reese is going to, because we need to obviously clear all the chairs out of church this morning, reset it again for the second service. So if you can help us uh, with that. You'll see at the door there, there's a bin for your communion cups and a bucket for your offering. Please don't get them mixed up, okay? <laughs> Please, mate, don't get them mixed up for us. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning. This is one of the advantages of being um, uh, on lockdown for these past few weeks. It's plenty of time uh, to study uh, and do other things, but certainly to study. And I did some studies myself on Isaiah because uh, I wanted to do something uh, new and, and fresh, not just for me, but for the church as well. And uh, so I read through Isaiah, incredibly long book, but amazing book. I thought it had so much stuff that we could learn from as a church. So I thought that they had these prepared, ready for when church was open. I thought we might not get church back open till September. We're delighted it's the start of July. And it means we can just dig in uh, to this book uh, of Isaiah uh, this morning. So I'm just going to give you this morning just an introduction and just a thought on a couple of verses in chapter 1 that will help us this morning. Um, if I was to summarize Isaiah, it would be with these five points that I'm going to come up on the screen before you that, that will help you. Because I think one of the problems we have as believers sometimes is we limit God and we put God in a box and we bring God down to our level and we sort of try to address everything that happens to us in life on the level that we are at. 
We don't often think of God being bigger than we can possibly imagine or holier than we can possibly imagine. And the theme that runs through Isaiah is these themes that I'm just going to put in front of us on the screen that simply this, that God is bigger than you think. God is holier than you think. God is sterner than you think. God is stronger than you think. And God is closer than you think. And in this series on Isaiah, I think if I wanted to sort of direct us down one road and I wanted to share with you, well, what is the desire of us as a church over these next few weeks as we look at Isaiah is to take those things and simply start to look at God as being bigger, holier, more forgiving, more comforting, closer, stronger than we actually think. In a sense, it's time for us to open up the box that maybe we've kept God in and limited him as to not only what he can do in our life, but what he can do in our church as well. And so that's the theme that's really running through uh, the book of Isaiah. I'm going to give you some background to start with to, to help us. And uh, Isaiah, as we know, is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. His name means God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Married to a prophetess, bore him two sons. I'm saying this because I want us to understand the background of him in, in a sense in real life. That, that often when we read a lot of Bible characters, we sort of look at it that they're outside of real life. But, but Isaiah was, was, was not outside of real life. This is real life that he's sharing his message as a prophet from God, for God, to the people who need to hear what God has to say to him. So he prophesied under the reign, four Judean kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and he may, likely met his death under the fifth king, Manasseh. Christian tradition as early as the second century identifies Isaiah as one of the prophets whose death is described in Hebrews 11 verse 37, that great chapter of faith and tradition would tell us that Isaiah met his death at the end by being sawn in two. Now just to make all the men uncomfortable, it wasn't sawn in two this way just to make you all a little bit uncomfortable. That's how Isaiah lost his life, when he was chosen and called by God. And often today when we speak of being called and God chooses us and there's a destiny and a purpose, none of us would imagine at the end of our lives that we would meet our death like that. Isaiah did that. Why? Because he faithfully preached the message that God had given him to the people. The people didn't want to hear it, particularly the leaders. And so therefore, this is Isaiah here. And so Isaiah might be called the prophet for the New Testament. He's quoted more than twice as any other major prophet and all the other minor prophets combined. He talks a lot about Jesus. Jesus comes 700 years after Isaiah. But a lot of prophecies that we find that Jesus fulfills are spoken in Isaiah. Two of the ones, well-known ones that you will know. Isaiah 9 verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53 verse 5 and 6, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When I read those two verses, I'm simply encouraged by this. God has a plan and God always has had a plan. 
He says he is not caught by surprise. God has a plan. Isaiah writes about this when he prophesies just those two verses. So there are several more. And so we know that Isaiah is a prophet. And so a prophet is simply a messenger uh, for God, a spokesman. Now, often the problem when we talk about a prophet is this, is we limit him to just to somebody who talks about the future, almost like a mystic bed character that looks into some crystal ball and tells everybody what's happening in the future. That's not what a prophet is, particularly an Old Testament prophet. There's a slight difference with the New Testament prophecy that we can look at another time. But the Old Testament prophet here had an incredibly important job because he was the spokesman for God. And this phrase, this sentence here that I've put, the great task assigned to the prophets whom God raised up among the people was to correct moral and religious abuses, to proclaim the great moral and religious truths which are connected with the character of God and which lie at the foundation of his government. That's what Isaiah did. He says where there was a problem in society and culture, Isaiah was a spokesman of God and he spoke out what God wanted to say to the people. That's the job of the church today. The job of the church today is not just to say nice things and fit in around everybody else and say, well, we don't want to upset anybody by what we're doing. Actually, if there's, if there's moral and religious abuses going on, we do need to upset a few people. We do need to take a stand as a church to speak out about some of the laws that are coming in to our country. But this is what Isaiah does. He simply challenges the people and simply says, he says, your religion and your morals are all screw with. And I'm speaking on behalf of God and you need to get yourself back in order. That was basically Isaiah's message. And so this was Isaiah who began to speak to the people and what the interesting thing was this, that Israel and Judah were both at the height of prosperity and power. So on the outside, it looked like God was blessing them. It looked like that they were prosperous, they were powerful, they had everything going for them. But God wasn't interested in what was going on on the outside of them. God was interested in what was going on on the inside of them. And on the inside of them, there was just simply this hypocrisy. They said the right thing and did the right thing, but actually their hearts were so far away from God. And some of the problems and the, the outward conformity that was there, the compromise, um, and seen them fall into this moral and spiritual decline. So what was happening was secret places of pagan worship were tolerated. The wealthy oppressed the poor. The women neglected their families in place of carnal pleasure. The priests and the prophets who were supposed to be the, the example, the religious example, became drunken men pleasers. And, and so what happened is Isaiah was coming at this point where on the outside everything looked great. On the outside it was prosperous and powerful and everything was together. But on the inside there was huge problems with everything that was going on. And so what had happened is eventually that the, the, they'd broken the covenant in Deuteronomy 30. And the covenant simply for the Israelites was this. If you followed God and obeyed God, you were blessed. If you disobeyed God, you were judged. That was simply all they had to do. All they had to do is follow and do what God had asked them to do, in a sense, told them to do. But they had broken that covenant by worshipping false gods, by doing all the other stuff that they weren't supposed to do. And so they'd now fallen into this trap of, of judgment. And so this judgment was inevitable. And so Isaiah, in the first 39 chapters, 
He simply speaks about the problems and the difficulties and all nine Hebrew words for sin are used in Isaiah. Evil, offense, wicked, iniquity, transgression, guilty, stray, rebel, trespass, all those words used by Isaiah to highlight the problem to the people of what they were doing and what they were, what they were supposed to be doing. These were all there. And you see, God on the one hand always has a future for his people. But on the other hand, sin has always got to be judged. And we heard what Stephen shared at the table this morning. We sit this morning knowing that sin has been judged and dealt with because of what Christ Jesus has done. But that does not give us an excuse to sin. That doesn't mean that we can take any of those nine words and live them out. It says on the one hand, God always has to judge sin. But on the other hand, on the other hand, he always has a future for his people. And this is so true in Isaiah. There are 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters are described as the book of judgment. Isaiah confronts the people with God's perfect character, spells out what God will do to them unless they turn from their sinful behavior and become like him. The final 27 chapters are described as a book of comfort. They consoled the Jewish nation with God's love and mercy, wooing them with promise after promise of what God will do for them if they turn to him and embrace him as their saviour. You see, a greater purpose for Isaiah was this, was laying this foundation of hope that people needed. But it can't be a foundation of hope if it's based on the people living the lives that they want to live and not doing what God has called them to do. There is no foundation of hope in that. You cannot live in both camps. You, you can't do both things. You can't live in both worlds. And Isaiah challenges this here because Isaiah all the way through is a book of promises. You know, when I read it, I felt like I'd put God in a box. I thought of him as a one often, and we hear this today in, in preaching, and I preached it myself. It's about my identity, my purpose. It's about my destiny, or it helps me to become the person I'm supposed to become in myself, to improve me. And I realize I've limited God. I put God in this tiny box and just simply said, God, just do something within me. Just help me to be a better person. Help me not to fall out with people. Help me not to say the wrong thing. And I realized that my God is too small, but it's only too small because I've made him too small. Actually, what I need to do is take something of what Isaiah is saying. It's actually not only is God bigger than I can imagine him to be, but God is holier than I can imagine him to be. He's more comforting than I can imagine him to be. And actually, he's, the book of Isaiah is full of these wonderful promises about restoration, how God restores the people. And, and it's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so our lives would be restored. Any of us in here who have made that decision to follow Christ, he says our lives have been restored, not by us, except Jesus. He's come in by power and he's restored our life. The second thing is redeemed us, as we've heard this morning, brought us back from the life that, that we were living in sin and evil and offense and all the other things. And that's much bigger than anything that we need to hear. It's in the expectation of the Messiah that when he writes about Jesus, it's his expectation that Jesus is coming. And we have that same expectation, don't we? That Jesus is coming back. 
again. And these things are much bigger than maybe the box that maybe we have put God in. The salvation of the nations and the triumph of God's purposes in spite of suffering. One of the things and being, being off and we call lockdown, given people lots of time to think. And I thought about the message that we preach to people. You know, and we've got to make sure that we're preaching the right message. That there is a triumph of God's purposes, but there is also suffering as well. That, that not everybody gets healed. Not everybody gets made better. But God is always in control. It says God is always all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty. That's a message that we have to preach. It says not me complaining if it doesn't work out for me. If it doesn't work out for me, in my eyes, God is still in control. And you see, we read this, and as reading through Isaiah, I get this picture. Of, now it's time for me to make God a bit bigger than I've got him at. Take him out of this box and open up this box. And say to him, it's not enough in a sense just for me to come. You know, and just with my small-minded thoughts or requests, just to come with those things that I think matter to me, and actually they don't really matter. God is almost saying through Isaiah, he says, I'm bigger than that. He says, the message I have for the nations here is a message that's going to go out to the whole world eventually. He says, the forgiveness I talk about here is going to be the expectation of me sending excuse me, my son, where everybody will be forgiven. And you see what happens with what we begin with. God expounds and expands and we see this. And I'm going to begin just because obviously we're limited for time, but I want to share just a short thought from chapter one. And Isaiah is a direct prophet. He doesn't need to mince his words. If you ever read chapter one, there's no time for small talk. He, he just gets straight in there. Often we think of a person... Uh, and if you've said this to anybody or people have said it to me the person that has no filter when they say anything do you know people like that? yeah, do you know what I'm saying? if you're thinking of somebody now who thinks so yes, I know that person and, it says, and, and this is Isaiah because he gets straight in there and he's got a message for the people now imagine, and if you read chapter 1 imagine in the first five minutes this morning of my sermon I turned around to you all and said you're all dumb. Now, for some, that might be true, but, <laughs> but, that's what Isaiah did. But there's a reason for doing that. He says, Isaiah is straight to the point, because he wants to get the people to understand this. And he uses this example. He says, the ox and the donkey are smart enough to submit to their master, but the people are too dumb to submit to God. I mean, it's a little bit like this. I have a pet dog at home called Poppy. Whenever I call her to me, she's supposed to, most of the time, she comes to the master of the house. <laughs> I've tried that with Athena, but it doesn't work. <laughs> it says, she's put it because she hears my voice and knows if she comes to me, she's either, either now I'm talking about Poppy here, not Athena. She's, uh, she comes to me, she's either going to get a wee treat or a wee pat or something, you know, dogs are like, you know. And The dog understands that. He knows coming and almost in a sense, as I was hearing this with the people and he says, the animals get it, but you people are too dumb to understand. We're not videoing this bit, are we? Make sure, make sure you get all of this in context, okay? <laughs> First Sunday back, you're all dumb. 
And so once he's done that, in the next few verses, he calls them to repent. And he does this, he says again, if he didn't get it the first time, just so they understand, and I'll do it this way now so you don't get offended, he calls them all dumb again. <laughs> it's a bit too real doing it behind you, here we go. So. <laughs> he calls them all dumb again. Because he says, you would rather feel the whip in God's hand than the provision of God's hand. And that's why he's saying it. And often we say, oh, we would never think like that. Actually, we do often, don't we? When we know we've got to fix what needs to be fixed with God, we tend to live our own way, thinking, better off living my own way and doing my own thing. And actually, we're just, we're just dumb. In a sense, don't be offended at that, but just we're, we're just dumb. Take him from Isaiah. But he's leading them somewhere. He, you know, and, and he gets more serious then because he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah and he says that, you know, he says they just rejected what God taught them and then they were judged. And so God suddenly is not impressed with, he's not impressed with their many sacrifices, their religious festivals, their incense and their prayers. He felt it was hypocrisy without heartfelt repentance because it had nothing to do with the heart. And, and then he, he reads these two verses. And God has commanded Isaiah to put the nation of Judah on trial, urging it to accept an out-of-court settlement. Judgment is coming. It's coming. But God is the God of second chances. Here in the Old Testament, and absolutely more today, on the first Sunday that we are back in living hope, the declaration of Isaiah is God is the God of second chances. And these verses come through and says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Even in all the sin that they have committed, God is gracious and forgiving. He declares, Isaiah declares, that God is willing to cleanse and forgive, even at this point, if Judah comes back and repents to his holy provision, which is simply everything you need, you find in God. And he gets him to say, come let us reason together. And the word reason in the Hebrew simply means to decide a case in court. God tells them everything they've done wrong. He tells them every way that they've sinned through Isaiah. And then he gives them a second chance. And that's the God that we serve today. Regardless of what has gone on these past 15 weeks and the struggles that people have been through because they will have been have, on this Sunday back, we declare through the first chapter of Isaiah that he's the God of second chances. Even better than that, he's the God of third chances, fourth chances. And God's direction for our lives is, is, is reasonable, isn't it? He's almost saying, think about this. He says it's reasonable. Be smart. Be, more, be wise. Don't be dumb best way to live is to live a life for God and in God and God has every reason to punish his people for their sins but in his grace and mercy offered full forgiveness and pardon upon repentance you repent you put away evil you strive to do what is right and you obey his word and God makes his promise when he reads his words here when he, he, he when he says to Isaiah he says though your sins are like scarlet they are as dark as they could be. They shall be as white as snow. Do you know what happens here? 
the condition of your life is transformed from deeply stained to completely white. That's what God does in our life. That's how we change. That's the offer. That's, that, that's what's on offer for the people. As Isaiah says to them, though you're dumb and you're messed up, though you've seen you've got one more chance, and God is saying this, he's saying, though your sins be as red, as scarlet, as dark as could be, they can be washed white as snow. Was even at this point, God is in the business of changing people's lives, of changing their condition of their life from deeply stained to completely white. Since we come this morning on this first morning back in to living hope, See, God is not only bigger than we think. God is more forgiving than you could ever imagine. Of everything you think you have done which stops you from taking your place at God's table, he is more forgiving than you could ever imagine or comprehend. He says he comes this morning and he can take the condition of your life from deeply stained for all those things that you have done wrong any of the one of the nine names that I mentioned and make it completely white simply through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God does. That's the power of God in our lives. Not because we put a hand in the air. It's the most powerful thing that has ever been released on the earth is the power of God by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us. There is no sin this morning or transgression this morning or transgress this morning or iniquity this morning that he cannot forgive. And as we begin this first morning, and my time is nearly up, I challenge you firstly, we're going to be in Isaiah for a bit. So listen, read it in your devotions. Follow it through in your devotions. It's an amazing book. But second, begin to think of God as bigger, holier, stronger, sterner, more comforting, than you could imagine. In a sense, we all have this box that we just can simply open up this morning and say, God, if I've limited you, if I've made you too small, God, would you become bigger for me? Would you be bigger? Would you be holier? Would you be more forgiving than I could imagine? Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, your word, Lord, speaks to us, whether it's from the old or from the new. The Father, you have something to say to us. Oh, Father, the, 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 our hearts this morning, on our first morning back, are drawn to you to simply say, God, would you do what needs to be done in each of our lives? The God, if we have put you in a box, Lord, Father, would you open up that box? God, if we've believed this morning that we can't be forgiven for the sin that we've committed, God, would you show us that we are forgiven more than we could imagine? God, as we come this morning, Lord, over these next few weeks as we look at this tremendous one, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us, Lord? Father, you have something to say. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' most precious, wonderful name. Amen.